Brother John Van Geldren, uh, evangelist who's still traveling today. I don't know if many of you know him. Maybe you've heard him preach before, but uh, God used evangelist John Van Geldren mightily in my life personally. I was uh, attending a revival meeting much like this revival meeting. It was a Sunday through Wednesday meeting, and uh, I was a member of a church in Land Lakes, Florida, just on the north side of Tampa, and uh, I was sitting over here on this side of the auditorium, and uh, he was preaching, and uh, as, as he was preaching through the week, uh, everything that he said was for me. I'm not sure if anybody else got anything out of that meeting, but I got an awful lot out of that meeting. And uh, God really started a work in my life in a revival meeting, just like this one, that I have yet to get over. And you know, when I do revival meetings, that's my prayer for you all. My prayer is that you wouldn't be able to get away from the word of God that's being taught to you this week, because that happened to me one time. And uh, because of that, my entire life has just been turned upside down. Um, God called me into the ministry a year or so later. Uh, I went to Bible college, and now, uh, by the grace of God, I, I get to be the guy that stands up here and, and preaches the truth of God's word to you. And uh, it's really just a, a wonderful thing to, to stop and just reflect for, for a moment personally on what it's God, has, God has done in my own personal life. I want to start tonight uh, by just uh, telling you a couple of uh, quick stories, if I can. Uh, I was down in Fort Lauderdale and uh, working with the church down there and uh, was out. And I, I have a habit of going out for usually a couple of hours every day. Uh, this is part of our ministry, what we do with churches. And I go and I just knock on doors and I talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least I try to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everybody wants to talk to me, but I'll find somebody who does and I'll be able to talk to that person. And uh, so I was going around and working in this one apartment complex or maybe it was condos. It's always hard to tell down in Fort Lauderdale. They, everything looks the same. And, and uh, so I'm just knocking around and I'm knocking and this, uh, this guy came to the door and uh, this is probably live streamed and recorded. So I'm not going to use people's names, but I assure you I'm telling you a true story and the guy has a name and I know it, okay? But uh, this fella came to the door and uh, he was... He was one of these big characters, right? He's, uh, he's a guy that uh, if you were walking down uh, a dark alley, you know, one night or something, and he was coming the other way, you might turn around and go the other way, or you'd try to figure out how to get on the other side of the alley. He's a big, scary guy is what I'm trying to say to you. And he comes to the door, and uh, I open up the conversation and introduce myself, tell him who I'm with and what church and, and so on and so forth, and just began talking. And in the conversation, I happen to realize that he's wearing an ankle bracelet, and it's not one of those really dainty bracelets like a girl would wear. It's like an ankle monitor. Are you with me? The guy's on house arrest. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe this is a little bit dangerous. And then I just decided, well, I've got a captive audience. Um, he's, not, he's not going anywhere. And uh, so I might as well just uh, sit down with him and spend some time. And uh, so we just began talking and got to know him for a little bit there. And he was happy to have somebody to talk to. And I was happy to have somebody to talk to. And before long, we just started talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and just began sharing him very simple truths, truths that you know if you're a Christian, truths like you're a sinner, truths like because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God in hell. Truths like uh, there's no way that we can be good enough to earn or merit our way into heaven, according to the Bible. 
truths about Jesus Christ, about who he was, that he was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for his sins, was buried and, and rose again. And boy, I'm telling you, he was listening very intently and, and just asking him, I said, have you ever heard any of this before? He said, no, I've, I've never heard this before in my life. And I asked him, I said, you know, you've heard it now. And so the question is, would you like to believe in Jesus Christ to be your savior today? He looked at me and said, you know, I would. And he bowed right there on his balcony and he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be a savior. Boy, I'm telling you, so stories like that are just wonderful, aren't they? I love to hear about people trusting Jesus Christ to be their savior. I was down in Pelzer, South Carolina, and doing the same thing, knocking on doors. Now, this is the Bible Belt that I'm in. I mean, we're uh, 25, 30 minutes south of Bob Jones University there on the south side of Greenville in South Carolina. And just going around and talking uh, to people and and knock on this door, and this big old fella came to the door. You know what I find? Big fellas are like teddy bears. You know, the bigger they are, the really the softer they are on the inside. This guy, he came to the door and started talking to him. And sort of the same thing just fell into place. Just started telling him he was listening. He was attentive. Uh, he listened to the gospel. He, he went to a church in the area, but he had never made this choice personally to trust Jesus Christ to be a savior. So I was able to share with him just those simple truths, the same truths I shared with a guy down in Fort Lauderdale. And I asked him at the end of the conversation, you know, would you like to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your savior? You know what he said? He said, I sure would. And he prayed right there on his porch to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be a savior. Oh, I went back there and, and uh, tried to follow up. Uh, maybe I think it was maybe two weeks later or something like that. And I found out that wasn't even his house. It was his grandmother's house. And he just happened to be there and was actually leaving whenever uh, I got there. But uh, they were just so excited. They had been praying for him to get saved for years. And he wouldn't listen to anybody that was talking to him in his church. And it just took a stranger to be able to talk to him about the word of God, maybe presented in a different way than he had heard it before. And for, the, for it to click, for the light bulb to go off and for him to trust Jesus Christ to be as a savior. Down on the south side of Greenville, again, in the middle of the Bible Belt, uh, we're out and we're knocking on doors. And I, and I have my daughter Riley with me. And uh, we're going around and we meet this young lady and she comes to the door and she's a teenage girl. And my daughter is also a teenager. And uh, we're talking. And there are some times when you go out to uh, on purpose to share the gospel with people and you've been asking God to get you in the right place at the right time. Sometimes it's just obvious when you start the conversation that the person's going to get saved. Sometimes God just gets you in the right place and you're like, wow, could it really be that easy? And this is one of those instances. Uh, We met uh, this young girl and uh, she came all the way outside. That's always a good sign if you're going door knocking. If they stay inside, sometimes they're looking to get away from you, but they come outside and close the door behind them. They're willing to listen to you. And that's a wonderful thing. And she did that and came out and uh, started talking to us. And she said, I am so excited that you're here. I've been thinking about this. And I'm like, this is so exciting. I actually told Riley, I said, Riley, I said, open the Bible, show her how to get saved. And so Riley, she was shaking like this, you know, she's holding her Bible. She's like right here. The Bible says we're sinners. Okay. And just went through the gospel. Do you know, at the end, we asked Bree, well, I said her name. We asked her if she'd like to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as her savior. You know what she said? She said, I sure would. And she bowed right there. She trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. Lord willing, I'll give you a little bit more of her story later on this week. She know I could go on and on and on and on about stories like 
that. Yesterday, last night, we looked at the master soul winner. His name was Jesus Christ. And we saw what it was that he did to be able to lead people to a saving knowledge of himself. And tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to look in the book of Acts. And I want us to see how people do it. How people like you and I do it. How do people do soul winning? Can people do soul winning? I mean, we looked at Jesus. Obviously, he's going to know what he's doing. Obviously, he's going to get everything right. But what about sinners like you and me that are just sinners that are saved by grace? Can, can we be soul winners? And the answer is emphatically, yes. And we have here in the book of Acts, we have chapters 8, chapters 9, and chapters 10. And if you ever hear me preach, you're going to hear me preach out of one of these chapters, I promise you. Because this is where I live. Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 10. I want to tell you what happens in these chapters because by God's grace, and it will take God's grace, we're covering all three chapters tonight. And you say, oh mercy, it took him a long time to cover 10 verses last night from Luke chapter 19. We're going to be here forever. No, we're going to talk fast. We're going to try to get through it. But let me just tell you what happens in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to a man by the name of Philip who happens to be an evangelist, and he is told by God to go into the desert. And when he gets to the desert, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch there. And by the end of Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch trusts Jesus Christ to be a savior. Move on to Acts chapter number 9. In Acts chapter number 9, we meet a person by the name of Saul, who later becomes Paul, who writes most of our New Testament And so we meet him there, but at this point in time, he's not a Christian, he's a lost person. In fact, he's wreaking havoc of the church, is what is said in Acts chapter number 8. But in Acts chapter number 9, we meet him there, and he's on the road to Damascus, and God literally appears to him and tells him to go into town, and then God sends a saved individual by the name of Ananias to talk to him, and in that conversation, explain to him the gospel so that he can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. So in Acts chapter number 10, Saul gets saved. And in, excuse me, chapter number 9, Acts chapter number 10, we are introduced to an individual by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius, we, we meet and we're introduced, introduced to him in the first uh, six or seven verses there of the passage. And Cornelius is lost. And an angel of the Lord actually appears unto him and tells him to send for somebody who's named Peter. And so then we are introduced to Peter in the passage and we find what is going on in Peter's life. And then at the end of the chapter, Peter and Cornelius get in the same place at the same time. And then Peter opens his mouth and he preaches unto him Jesus. And at the end of this chapter, Cornelius accepts Jesus Christ to be a savior. And it's not only Cornelius, but it's literally everybody around that Cornelius has gathered together that gets saved. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to the book of Acts, I consider the book of Acts to be our example of how we're supposed to do things today. This is church history for us. And so when I see that soul winning is taking place in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter number 10, it makes me realize that, you know what, we all should be soul winners today. And when we read these stories like this in 8, 9, and 10, we ought to have stories like this ourselves that we can be able to share with people about people that we have led to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to do tonight is I just want to share with you eight things that as we go through this, and you say, oh, my, last night was two. I know, I'm probably scaring you, but we're going to go quickly tonight. So you're going to have to buckle your seatbelts there, and we'll make our way through this, and I trust that it will be a help to you. Eight things that we need to know about how soul winning works in the New Testament and how God uses people 
to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and pray with me and ask for the Lord's help as we look at these three passages here. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to stand and preach your word again here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives about this business of soul winning. And Father, I pray that you'd help us realize that we really do need to get serious about this in our lives. If we want to live lives that are pleasing to you, and Lord, we want our church to grow, and we want to have our church to be patterned after the New Testament. And uh, Father, I just pray that you do a deep and lasting work. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is that God is at work in the lives of lost people. Now, we touched on this last night with Zacchaeus just a little bit, but I want us to see it again here uh, in our text tonight. So in Acts chapter number 8, I want you to look at it in verse number 30. And here is where we meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And I just want you to see that God is working in this man's life. All right. So in verse number 30, the Bible says, And Philip ran thither to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and says, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Can I ask you a question? Would it be possible for you to go soul winning and find somebody who's reading their Bible and actually wants to know what it means? You know, it is absolutely possible and it happens, but it won't happen to you if you don't go. But God is at work in the lives of lost people, drawing them unto himself. And this man has obtained a copy of the scriptures and he is reading it and he is curious about what is being said. And just keep reading there in verse number 32. Well, verse number 31, he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he actually desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shears, So opened he not his mouth In his humiliation. His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? What a great question. Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him who? Jesus. Preached unto him Jesus. God is at work in the lives of lost people. Look in chapter number nine. We'll just look at the first uh, six verses here as we're introduced to Saul. And it says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now, God is at work in Saul's life. And I want you to see if you can find how God is working in Saul's life as we read through this passage, all right? Now, we are introduced to him here, and he's, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, but I, I want you to look for what's happening here, see if you can find it. Verse 2, And desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, most people, when they read this, they focus on the fact that uh, Paul was, or Saul was able to see this resurrected Jesus that was actually talking to him, right? But that's not the part that I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on the end of verse number six. Jesus comes, Jesus talks to him. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, in Acts chapter number two, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost and the men are listening to the sermon, they were pricked in their heart. What is this? This is, this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God working on Saul as he is breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God, they are all over Saul. Do you see that? God is at work in the lives of lost people. And if we want to be soul winners, friends, we can get encouraged about that because as soul winners, we don't go out there trying to win just everybody that's there, although that would be great, but we go looking for where God already is. And when we, when we find where God already is, we just sit down and camp right there and, and, and just, just lead the person to the Lord. That's all you have to do. And that's what happens here because God is already working at the life of Saul. And in Cornelius, we are introduced to him in Acts chapter number 10. And it uh, tells us a little bit about him. In verse number 2, he's a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in unto him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial to God. Here was a man who was seeking after truth. He's trying to find who God is. And God sends him this angel. And in verse 5, he says, Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, he lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. It's obvious that God is at work in Cornelius's life, isn't it? And he's going to great lengths to be able to get Cornelius's attention so that he can get him the truth that he needs to be able to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. So first thing, first thing I want you to understand is God is at work in the lives of those who are lost, drawing them unto himself. That's number one. Number two, God's plan is that Christians will share the gospel with those who aren't Christians. God's plan is that people will share the gospel with people. All right. Now in Acts chapter number nine, we have this man who God is drawing near unto himself, but it's not God who tells him the gospel. It's Philip. Philip, the saved individual in the passage who is called to the desert, goes to the desert and he meets the Ethiopian music and it is there in Acts chapter number 8 and he's the one who opens his mouth and he preaches unto him Jesus. In Acts chapter number 9, it's Ananias who is a disciple of Christ who goes and talks to Saul and opens his mouth and declares unto him the truths of the gospel so that he can trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be his savior. In Acts chapter number 10, it is Peter. It is a saved individual who then goes to Cornelius and opens his mouth and shares unto him the truth of the gospel so that he can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. Can I tell you what God wants to do with you? He wants to do with you exactly what he did with Philip in Acts chapter number 8, exactly what he did with um, Ananias in Acts chapter number 9, and exactly what he did with Peter in Acts chapter number 10. God's plan and what you see being played out here in Acts chapter 9, 8, 9, and 10 is exactly the way he wants to use you today. It's what he wants to do. You know, it is amazing to me how much easier it would have been if God would have just used an angel to declare a gospel, the gospel to these people. In Acts chapter number 10, there's many times as I read this, I can't get over it. We find here that an angel of God is sent by the Holy Spirit of God to talk to Cornelius. And so the Holy Spirit of God sends the angel, the angel talks to Cornelius, and he tells them to do what? Go send for Peter. Why didn't the angel just declare unto him the truths of the gospel so that he could get saved directly from the message of the angel? Can I tell you why? Because that's not God's plan. It never has been God's plan, and it never will be God's plan. God's plan is to use people to share the gospel with people. In Acts chapter number 9, and I want to be irreverent as I say this, who is it that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus? 
It is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what does he tell him to do? He does not tell him the gospel there on the road to Damascus. He tells him, go into the city and there it shall be told thee what thou must do. And we may not have the time tonight, but you can take the time to go over to Acts number 22. And you can look there in the middle of that passage when Paul is giving his testimony. And you will learn that Ananias is the one who came and shared the gospel with him. And he trusted Christ when it was Ananias who was talking to him. Saul did not get saved on the road to Damascus, folks. Saul got saved when he went to town and Ananias came and talked to him and shared the gospel with him so that he could trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be his savior. So if God did send an angel to a lost person in this community, it would be to get him in touch with you. If the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ appeared to a person in your your community, the whole goal of that trip would be get them to talk to somebody like you who knows the gospel themselves so that you could be able to tell it to them. You know, God uses people like me and people like you to be able to share the good news of the gospel with other people. You know, Peter, not too long before this, was a Christ denier, wasn't he? How many of you are perfect? No, of course not, right? God uses imperfect people. If God can use Peter, are you with me? Then God can use you. He can use any of us. All you have to do is be saved. Be saved and know the gospel and God can use you to be able to be a witness to other people so that uh, they can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. All right, number one, God is working on lost people. Number two, God's plan is that people share the gospel with other people. Number three, God is at work on Christians. Number three, God is at work on Christians. In Acts chapter number 10, well, let's read it here. By the way, I'm just going to give you all homework right now. You know what you all should do after this message is go home and read Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter number 10. Just read them through and pick through so you can put all the pieces together that we're talking about here tonight because we just don't have time to do that. So I'm just going to give you homework and ask you to do it then, all right? So, but in Acts chapter number 10, here we find Peter. So we're introduced to Cornelius. We know that God is at work in the life of Cornelius. And then we learn about what God is having to do with Peter. So look at it there in verse number 9. This is Acts chapter number 10. The Bible says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry, and he would have eaten. But while uh, he made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. By the way, has God ever told you to do something, and you said, Not so, Lord? I find myself being able to relate it to Peter in so many ways. I wish I really couldn't relate to him. But I imagine you can relate to him kind of the way I can relate to him, right? God asks us to do something, and what do we say? No, I don't think so. Not, not so, Lord. That's what's happening here. Peter, is, he's given God, or God has given him this vision. He tells him to rise and eat, and he says, uh-uh, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Later in this passage, when Peter is going to visit Cornelius, he figures out, 
about what it is that God is trying to tell him in this vision. He's trying to let him know that it is okay for him as a Jew to preach the gospel to those who are considered to be unclean at the time, the Gentiles. And aren't you glad that the Gentiles received the gospel? Amen. I am a Gentile and most likely you're a Gentile as well. And so Peter finally figures it out that it's okay for him as a Jew to be able to go and have a meal with someone that is a Gentile and be able to then share with them the truth of the gospel so that Cornelius and his friends can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior. Can I tell you what God is having to work on Peter about? God's having to work on Peter about being a soul winner. God's having to work on Peter. He's having to work on Christians. He's having to correct wrong thinking. He's having to correct a misunderstanding about how all of this works so he can get Peter to be doctrinally right, if I can say it that way, so that he will be able to be used as a tool to be able to go and to share the gospel with another individual. And I think that's fascinating. God has to work on us to get us ready to be able to share the gospel with other individuals. And it's the same in all of these stories. In Acts chapter number 10, we've seen that God had to work on Peter. I think it's fascinating there. Peter is doubting in himself. And when the Holy Spirit comes to him later in the passage, he says, get thee down and go with these three men. I have sent them and don't doubt about anything. I don't know about you, but sometimes when God asks me to witness to somebody, I'm thinking, are you sure you want me to talk to that person? Are you doubting? I doubt. Peter doubted. You see, we all have the same things in common here, don't we? What Peter had to get over is what you and I have to get over. And God is trying to do a work in us to be able to use us. Ananias, I've got to tell you, if there's anybody in this, in this section of verses I just feel sorry for, it's Ananias. Could you imagine, okay, what happens to him in this chapter? Look at it in Acts chapter number 9. Okay, so Saul has had this thing on the road to Damascus. And in verse number 8, uh, Saul arose from the earth uh, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now, here's where the story really gets good because we start talking, start talking about what God is doing in the Christian's life, all right? Verse number nine. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Can I tell you what Ananias is doing here with Jesus Christ? He's arguing with him. He's saying, God, I don't really think you know what you're asking me to do. You want me to go and talk to Saul, who's killing Christians, wreaking havoc of the church, and has letters with him of authority so he can arrest me and put me in prison. I think... He was really confused by what it was that God was asking him to do. You may be here tonight and you may be thinking, you know, God might be able to use other people to be a soul winner, but God couldn't use me to be a soul winner. And I tell you, God exactly wants to use you to be a soul winner. And what he asks you to do is really no different than what he's asking Ananias to do, except what he's asking you to do would be a whole lot easier than what he asked Ananias to do. He's not asking you to go talk to the, to the local guy who's murdering Christians. But yet, that's what he asked Ananias to do. 
I can imagine uh, God apparently came and, uh, and appeared unto uh, Saul and told him that a man named Ananias was going to come talk to him. If I was Ananias, I'd said, Lord, give him another vision. Tell him that somebody else is coming because I ain't going. I mean, that's what this would have. This is like you're talking about the drawing the short straw of all the straws in history. This would have been probably one of the most challenging things to be able to do as a Christian, to be able to go and talk to Saul. Yet this is exactly what God asked him to do. Do you think Ananias was scared when he went and talked to him? I think he was shaking in his boots. Do you think you're going to be scared talking to somebody about the gospel? Yeah, you're probably going to be shaking in your boots. But it's nothing different than what God has asked anybody else in history to do. Ananias was scared. Peter was doubting. And yet God was asking them to do something that they couldn't do in their own power. And he just asked them to go do it. And he's asking you to do the same thing. In Acts chapter number 8, we see Philip. And uh, the Holy Spirit comes to Philip and he says, go down to the desert. And really what we can see here is that God is trying to get us as Christians to be submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. God's going to ask you to do some things in your life that you don't understand. You know, in Acts chapter number 8, it just drives me nuts because I'm an engineer and I like to have all these things figured out and I like to know all the details and I want to know all the details about how something is going to work. But in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, hey, I want you to go down to the desert. And do you know what's missing? The why. The why, the explanation, the details, the why, who you're going to meet. None of that is there. He just says, I want you to go. And so he goes. He goes, and he doesn't know where he, he, he why. He, does, he doesn't understand all the details. But when he gets there, he knows why. Can I tell you what soul winning is all about? Soul winning. You're going to go out soul winning, and you're not going to know who you're going to meet. You're not going to know the situation that they're in. You're not going to know anything about the details of what's about to happen to you and what's about to, who, who God's going to get you in touch with. You're not going to know any of those things, but you have to go soul winning in order to find out who it is that God has for you out there to talk to. Yeah, this is the same way for Philip. He had to obey. He had to go. And after he went, he figured out why he was there. He was able to meet the Ethiopian eunuch and be able to lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I'll be honest with you. The Holy Spirit's really not talking to me about witnessing to other people. I want to be blunt in this statement. If he's not talking to you about witnessing to other people, then what is he talking to you about? Because the Holy Spirit is talking to you about something. And can I just tell you, if you've got things in your life that shouldn't be there, he's talking to you about those things. And I have found in my own experience that the Holy Spirit is immensely practical. And I know with me, he doesn't want to overwhelm me, so he just deals with me with one thing at a time. And so if God is dealing with me about a sin that I have in my life that I'm harboring and that I don't want to give up, give up guess what God's not going to be talking to me about? He's not going to be talking to me about people that I need to witness to. Because right now I'm not in submission to the Holy Spirit and I'm harboring sin in my life and I want my sin more than I want what God wants for me. I don't know what God's talking to you about in your life. But whatever it is, whatever God is putting his finger on, that's what you need to deal with. You deal with that and you be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life and then you will find that maybe God will move from there and he'll put his finger on another area of your life and then deal with that. And at some point you're going to find that God is ready to use you and he's going to start laying people on your heart for you to be able to go and speak to about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing how that works? 
He doesn't, he doesn't overwhelm us. He just, he just, just one thing at a time. I, I remember one time I, I was, uh, I was uh, watching some TV show. And you know how sitcoms or whatever they, that work these days, you, you start watching them and, and they're pretty good. But then like by season two or three, uh, they're really not a good show anymore. Well, that's what was happening with me. But I was attached to the characters, right? And I was just really involved in this TV show. And I thought this is really what I needed to be watching. And I, I, just, I just liked it. I liked the show. Okay, so shoot me, all right? I just liked the television show. And God wouldn't talk to me about anything except for the fact that I needed to get that filthy TV show out of my life. And I thought, God, I can't, I can't let it go. I just, I like this TV show and I like these characters and man, I knew their names and I, I, it was just, it was like an obsession that I had. And so finally one day I just said, okay, God, I said, you're right. You can have the TV show. I thought it was going to be the end of me. I just thought this is going to be awful. You know, the next week was going to come out. The new show was going to come out. I was going to miss it. I was going to be moping around. I was going to be sad because I couldn't watch my favorite TV show. Can I tell you, within a week of giving that show up, I can't even, couldn't even tell you the title of the show. God had just, God just removed the desire from it for me. Today, I don't even know what show it was. I couldn't tell you a single character about it. I, I have no idea what it was, but I know it was a huge deal for me to give it up. And I gave it up, and God just said, okay, good, we got that done, out of the way. You're not going to have a problem with that anymore. Let's move on to the next thing. God does that with us. And so God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And if there's something that's in the way of him using you, that's what he's talking to you about. And whatever that is, and by the way, if there is something, you know what it is, just deal with that. Just deal with that. Be submissive to the Holy Spirit spirit. Number four, Christians must arise and go. I'm just going to show you these words. Look in Acts chapter eight and verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake spake unto Philip saying, arise and go. I have those words circled in my Bible. If you take notes in your Bible, I suggest that you circle them there. Arise and go. Now look in chapter number nine and verse number 11. And the Lord said unto him to Ananias, arise and go. Do you see it there? And then in chapter number 10, whenever the Lord appears unto spirit, uh, Peter looked down in verse number 20. Now the Bible says there, arise therefore and get thee down and go. So there the words are separated a little bit, but it's still there. It's arise and go, arise and go. You know what you have to do if you want to be a soul winner Christian? You have to get up and you have to go. You got to go. You have to just do it. Jonah chapter one, It's in the Old Testament as well. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah saying, arise and go. In chapter three, the word of the Lord comes to him again the second time. You know what it says? Arise and go. It has always been the same. God expects for us as Christians to get up and go when people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first word of the Great Commission is go. It's just there. We know the truth. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. What I'm asking you to do is to put into practice what you do know and to get up and go try to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number four. Number five, Christians struggle with the going. We've already talked about this just a little bit. Peter was doubting. Ananias was shaking in his boots. The only one that we really we don't see doubting was the evangelist Philip. 
And I think that the only reason he wasn't doubting is because he had been in Samaria and he was in Samaria because God told him to go to Samaria and he went to Samaria and he saw a whole bunch of people get saved and he's just excited because God is using him and he just wants to do whatever it is that God wants him to do next. So he's excited about answering whatever the Holy Spirit tells him to do with an affirmative yes. But people struggle. And so here's what I want to tell you tonight. If you are struggling with this idea of getting up and going and talking to people about the gospel and being a soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in good company. In fact, if you are struggling with this problem, then you're by this close. You're this close to being a soul winner because it's right after Ananias is struggling with it that he leads Saul to Christ. It's right after Peter is doubting in his heart that he's able to lead him to Christ. So if you are struggling, you are right there. You're right there. You just need to push over the precipice to be able to uh, share the gospel with people and see them trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a help to know in all of these places, if you're talking about Philip or you're talking about uh, Ananias or you're talking about Peter, God is trying to get these men where he already is. If God is burdening you about a specific individual or God is burdening you about a specific neighborhood or God is burdening you about going on visitation, it's because he's already where you're going to be going. And all you have to do is go and get there so that God can use you because he knows already where he wants you and he'll work out the circumstances to get you there. What do you do when you get there? Number six, you just preach Jesus. You just preach Jesus. I love it there in Acts chapter number uh, 8, the verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. In Acts chapter number 10, we have a very complete uh, statement of the gospel. We find in verse number 34 of Acts chapter number 10 that Peter opened his mouth. You remember the point from last night that you have to speak eventually. So Peter here, he opens his mouth and said unto them, and in verse number 38, he makes much of Jesus Christ, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed, for God was with him. And then he tells them about the death, burial, and resurrection in verse number 39, who they slew and hung on a tree him God raised up the third day he talks about God being the judge in verse number 42 and in verse number 43 he talks about that through belief in his name that he can receive the remission of sins friends the entire gospel message is right there in Acts chapter number 10 and it's the message that Peter gives to Cornelius when he finally gets to where Cornelius is we just have to preach Jesus unto people the message that you and I know because it's the same message that we heard to get saved ourselves number seven Christians go to strangers with the gospel. You say, oh, preacher, you had me up to this point. But can I tell you that Philip had never met the Ethiopian eunuch before in his life? Ananias had heard of Saul, but he never met him. And Peter had never met Cornelius before. If you want to be a soul winner, you need to include strangers people that you've never met before in your life into the people that you are willing to witness to. Listen, I am all for your friends getting saved. I'm all for your family getting saved. I'm all for your coworkers getting saved. But listen, if you put your friends and your family and your coworkers together in a pool, I want to just tell you this, it's a small pool. But if you incorporate strangers into your ideology of soul winning or your system of soul winning, friend, there's no limit to who you can talk to about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When you find people getting saved in the scriptures, you find usually that it is someone who's never met the person before in their life, and the first time they meet, they get saved. You say, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not trying to tell you what makes sense. I'm just trying to tell you what God does. God uses saved people to meet strangers that they've never met before in their life, to open their mouth and to share with them the truth of God's love, and then that person trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what he does, and that's what God wants you to do. I had never met those people that I told you about at the beginning of the church service before they got saved. I've never met them, but I met them, and the first time I met them, they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That's number seven. Number eight, and the last point is that Christians who are soul winners will encounter opposition. Look at it in Acts chapter number 11. We'll read the first two verses. The Bible says, And the apostles and the brethren uh, that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Look up here for just a moment. I don't mean to be rude, but I want to include this point for two reasons. Number one, if people in this church start seeing people get saved and they start people leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you be the one that opposes them. Don't be that person. Don't be the people in Acts chapter 11 that are opposing what God is doing. But I'll tell you what happens. If you become a soul winner and you start leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ, people in this church are going to oppose you. People in this church are going to doubt that the people that you're talking to are really getting saved. People are going to say, well, they got saved, but where are they on Sunday morning? Are you sure you got saved? Are you preaching easy believism or blah, 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 blah? And it's just going to go on and on and on. And there's going to be opposition from places that you don't think the opposition would come from. So I'm just going to tell you and be upfront with you. If you want to be a soul winner, just anticipate people aren't going to understand you. If you find any soul winner in the New Testament that was ever understood... Uh, let me know about it. Jesus was very misunderstood, wasn't he? These individuals here were misunderstood. Peter, these people were ready to fight Peter because of what he had done and sharing the gospel with Gentiles. But Peter was right in the middle of the will of God when he was sharing the gospel with those people and seeing them trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be a savior. In conclusion tonight, maybe you've picked up on a theme of this week's revival meetings. Can I tell you what I think? We need revival in this country, but we need a revival of soul consciousness. We need a revival of witnessing. We need a revival of soul winning. That's the kind of revival that America needs. People think about the yesteryear and they want to talk about the days of the 70s and the days of the 80s when the churches were growing. Can I tell you what those churches were doing that were not today? They were soul winning. They cared about people and they went out and they went into the highways and they went into the hedges and they compelled people to come in and they took the message to them where they were and they were serious about the business of the gospel message. Listen, can I tell you something? You say, I don't pray in my life. Can I tell you why? One of the reasons is that you don't pray. You're not a soul winner. You're not trying to reach people with the gospel in this community. If you were trying, you'd be on your knees and you'd be praying because you know that there are people that are lost and dying and going to hell here in your community. You say, I don't know. I, I'm not really reading my Bible and I'm not really spending time in the word of God. Can I tell you one of the reasons why? Well, because you're not being a soul winner and you haven't let 
led anybody to Christ so that you're not having to teach them what the next steps are and you're not having to study for everything that they need to know. I'm telling you, soul winning changes everything. It changes everything. You're not living right? I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Because you're not being a soul winner. If you're being a soul winner and you're out there and you're the face of Jesus Christ to this community, you're going to want to live a right way so that you can be a good representative of Jesus Christ to those who you're winning to Christ and who are you're asking them to follow you. I'm telling you, we need a revival. But we need a revival of soul winning. And Acts is our pattern and Acts is our plan. And I'm begging you, I am begging you, do something with the gospel. God's plan is to use you to reach this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Father, I want to thank you so much for the time that we've been able to spend together here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the truths of these three chapters of Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter number 10. God, I've poured my heart out here tonight. I don't know anything else, Lord, that I can do. God, I'm asking you to do a work in this church. I'm asking you to do a work in individuals' lives. God, give them a burden for people. Just give them a burden. 